0: another edition of the Unicorns podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Joel Hardy is my guest today on the Unicorns. Joel is the CEO and co-founder of Simra Life Sciences. Simra is a medicinal cannabis business with a focus on supportive therapeutic care, and it's hoping to IPO on the ASX later this year. Joel, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me.
0: Joel, let's get started. Tell us about Simra.
1: Yeah, so Simra is um, Australia's only ODC-permitted cannabis genetics company. So our plan is to develop and commercialise genetic IP and services in amongst Australian cultivators of medical cannabis, And then on top of that, as you mentioned, we're trying to leverage our IP and genetic assets to then build a suite of pharmaceutical products, but also register a product for the global chronic pain market.
0: Okay, so tell us about your journey to founding Simra.
1: Yeah, it's been a wild ride, that's for sure. So I um, am a tech executive. I've been running tech businesses for large sas uh companies around the world in in particular in the us and i was living living in san francisco and uh saw the medical cannabis program rolling out there and what it was doing and what impact it was having and i had some personal experience with with friends who who had relatives or older relatives going through you know cancer or chronic pain and Mm -hmm. having some success and i just realized at that stage that it's going to happen in Australia because it wasn't really impacting society negatively and, and I felt like there was a lot of people getting a lot of benefit from it.
0: So what's, what sort of year was this?
1: Oh, that was about six years ago. Okay. I was yep. living in San Francisco, which was a lot of fun before mm-hmm. kids and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I flew over to Canada where they had a medical cannabis program as well, which was similar to the one um, that I thought was going to be rolled out in Australia and built some relationships there and um, you know toured some greenhouses and saw – Met some of the CEOs of these companies that are listed on the TSX and things like yes. that. Because um, it's, just, it's
0: they, huge in Canada, isn't it? Yeah, it's massive now. Yeah, They've gone recreational,
1: yeah. which is another step further from where we are. Um, and I uh, just learned a lot and talked to them about stuff. And along the way, I kind of met them and saw that if they, basically in my head, was like, if they can do it, then I can do it because um, they had come from different backgrounds as well, not so much pharmaceutical. And so I kind of got the bit between my teeth came back to Australia, um, started importing products into Australia on the, what's called the special access scheme
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then put in an application to get a licence up in um, up in Ballina. And then along the way I met my co-founder, which I was very lucky to meet, Simon, who comes from a plant genetics and plant tissue culture background um, through my accountant, which was just so random.
0: but <laughs> you, never, man, you never know, right?
1: You don't. You don't. And I think this has been lucky. My, my luck has been pretty good with meeting people. But... Um, and then we built the company for for four years and and finally we've got our permit to grow, cultivate and manufacture uh, medicinal cannabis in Australia, which means we can sell to anyone in the world now, um which is a a long achievement, but one that I'm pretty proud of.
0: So if we go back, so before simra you you said you're a a tech executive. what were you actually what were you actually doing?
1: Yeah, so my specialization um as I left the business was about starting up new. Uh, divisions within a business. Mm-hmm. So I started at um, a division in SurveyMonkey um, around market intelligence and market research that was mainly targeted at consumer um, consumer insights businesses or um, actually hedge funds that wanted to get sort of a read on the market about certain products. Mm-hmm. And then I also was the head of Asia Pacific for a company called New Relic, which was an application performance monitoring tool. So typically managing like uh, up to a hundred people, and then you know, revenues of sort of thirty million dollars of um recurring revenue.
0: Okay. And so what was it that, that what was the spark that made you think, okay, I've I've done this, I've you know, I've I've been a, an executive in, you know, San Francisco in tech, and now it's time to try something else?
1: I think ultimately my dad ran his own business and I always had it in the back of my own head that I, you know, wanted to potentially run my own business okay. one. Day. Yep. Yep. And um and and I th- the other thing was I, f- I felt like I was a little sick of making other people money uh, <laughs> rather, than, rather yeah. than myself. So with all the hard work I was putting in in the hours, you know, with the running these businesses, because you still have to work, you know, 60 hours a week. And um, whereas with your own business, you still work 60 hours a week, but at least it's your hours, you know. So mm. um, that's kind of how I looked at it. And it was a big jump, right, going from tech, which was very, very secure and, you know, high growth and, um, there's always going to be jobs there, yes going to be made where it's into, into medical cannabis, which was a lot riskier and and obviously a bit of a challenge, but you know financially, I was pretty stable at that point in my yep. life, and, yep. and my wife was very supportive, so
0: I was uh, going to ask that um what did Mrs. Hardy have to say when you said that's it i've got a I've got an idea i I'm going to set this up, and it's in medical cannabis.
1: well, I think when I first talked about it, um there was a little bit of trepidation. Um, but it sort of evolved over time where I moved into it full-time. So she knew she sort of had time to process me moving into it over, you know, a good 18 months. And Right.
0: So it wasn't like, you know, one night you came home and said, that's it.
1: Well, I did come home and do that, but I didn't say <laughs> I didn't come home and say, I'm going to jump right now. You know, I said, I'm going to go do more research on this and make sure, um, you know, I want to get into this and make sure it's going to work and all that sort of stuff. And then eventually Basically, the deal was I needed to raise money. And so eventually when I raised my first round of funding from, you know, friends, family and fools, I suppose, mm. I, that's when I said, oh, well, I've got to quit now because I've raised the money. So, and, and we'd already sort of put everything in place by then. And, and, and like I said, we were pretty financially secure, enough to be happy, which is good.
0: And were you satisfied that the market opportunity in um, medical cannabis Um, was such that you could make a real go of what you were doing?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think the market opportunity hasn't changed. It's only ever got bigger because I think, you know, sometimes we have people telling me that the market's so small in Australia or the market's small, you know, anywhere. But the only way this market is going is up because there's only I, don't, I think there's only one way governments are going they're not going to restrict cannabis yes, use I yeah, think. I think
0: yeah.
1: in reality cannabis use is going to increase across governments whether that's medical or recreational is another question but it's only going up so you know if, if one country in Europe um, like Germany is gone Switzerland's gone UK started as well there's only going to be more company countries in Europe coming online Similar to Australia and in, in Asia, there's going to be Thailand. You know, there's more countries going to come online as evidence gets uh, proven, as governments realise there's a lot of tax money to be made, and and also that they can help a lot of their constituents um, relieve themselves from certain conditions through medical cannabis. So, I just think it's an exciting time. It's it's definitely um, still a nascent industry as far yes. as I can, I can yeah. tell. Uh but Particularly because you know there's supply chains are um, unreliable and and a few other areas, but as I've learnt in this industry, if you can get the right people on board, then I think you can shoot to the top quite quickly.
0: And how did you go about, Joel, building building a team and 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 setting up the business?
1: Yeah, so I'm a big believer in um, people because people are the business, um, yep. and I think I knew being a tech executive how to recruit and train people but i and i knew i was kind of a general manager Mm -hmm. um and and pretty good at business development and and sales i suppose so i sort of focused on that and then tried to hire the people in the special specialty areas that i uh, was weak at right so from the plant side of things simon my co-founder who's basically uh when we're business partners he runs the whole plant side of things like all the decisions around plants genetics um extraction, that sort of stuff, he's more involved in. Um obviously I'm across it all, but he makes really all the sort of scientific decisions there. And okay. we've hired a bunch of scientists and and also um specialists in that area. But then on the board I've got um the ex-CEO and of Alpha Farm, which was the largest generics business in Australia for a period there. Yes. He was the ex CEO of Asia Pacific for Pfizer, John Montgomery. So he's got forty years of pharmaceuticals experience. Um, I've got the ex-CEOs of of Blackmores, Richard Henfrey. So he's bought a nutraceutical and and actually um, natural plant extraction experience because he um, runs a company called Quintus now. And then um, Rachel Palumbo, who's the general manager of uh, New Farm, the sort of genetics division. So, uh, and she came from Monsanto for the last 10 years as well. So, those people have definitely helped us shape our strategy and what to focus on. I would
0: have, I would have thought so. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I'm a big believer in that, right? I'm just the sort of um, person running around, sort of managing everyone and taking feedback, but and and sort of and sort of being that sort of general player. But um, these are the guys that have helped me make the decisions because they know their space very very well.
0: So if you look at the Australian market. Um, I would say two or three years ago, maybe four years ago, was when it really hit. There are a lot of medical cannabis companies coming to market, trying to make a go of it. Um, I think you said that Simra's a little bit different. So, so how are you uh, different to what else is available, at least on the Australian market?
1: Yes, yeah, so we're the only company in Australia. Um, that is focused on genetics. So, what that means is we're growing cannabis that produces higher yield and lower labor costs. And as supply of flour or as supply of um, uh, products hit the market, more efficiencies are going to be needed to, to be gained um, in people's greenhouses or indoor for sites or even outdoors. So, um, if you think about what happens in every other agricultural crop, you need to provide efficiencies through. Mm-hmm through growing technologies and and really you can either throw more capex at it through building more facilities that are costing lots and lots of money or you can try and change the plant, change the plant's behaviour over time. And I think what we've seen in, you know, tomatoes, wheat, blueberries, any other agricultural crop is that genetics play a huge role in um, making crops more efficient or better or higher yielding or, um, you know, different agronomic forms that that produce... um, Lower wages and things like that. So there's a lot of options there for us to to try and um, get some targets that that'll make things more efficient.
0: Was it hard to uh, break through any regulatory restrictions and and red tape to to get this thing off the ground?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think that's probably our biggest <laughs> risk as a company, and we've probably got through it now. More than we've ever been in the, okay. the last week or so. So, you know, getting a permit in Australia is a very hard process. It's actually taken us um, over three and a half years to get a permit, and that would probably be. And that is
0: a permit to do what?
1: To cultivate and manufacture cannabis.
0: Right. So it's, you're, <laughs> you're now legal.
1: <laughs> well, now legally we can sell. Yes, I yeah. think that the 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 the, the, light, the how it works is you apply for a license. You tell the government what you're going to do. You show them a security plans. You, they come and meet you and they do all these background checks, which takes a long, long time. We're right. Agencies. And then the next step is you build the facility. They come and check what you said you are going to build is true. Then you have to tell them where you're going to sell this sell this cannabis and why you're planting it and what you're doing with it and how you're tracking it. And then they give you a permit. Um, and they're fairly overwhelmed, the the, the department that's um, managing this. So I think I we're probably around number 10, in the country for cultivation and probably somewhere around there for manufacture as well. Um, So there's really only about sort of 10 people cultivating and 10 to 12 people manufacturing.
0: Mm. And how did you identify the site? You you mentioned Ballina.
1: Yeah, so it's a great place to grow crops. We um, are on a plateau. Um, We're on the Alstonville Plateau, which is um, great for growing crops because we have great, Uh, red soil but also there's a lot of wind flow which reduces pest and disease Um, and clearly there's already a lot of agricultural staff out there from um, Southern Cross University who's one of our partners Mm. so we just thought it was a great place to to put the um, the cannabis facility yeah on top of that you know moving sort of further down wait where may this this may go having a having a brand that's Byron Bay is probably going to help us in the future, right? Whether that's from a clean and green nutraceuticals, of course, yeah. or, um, you know, even from a domestic point of view saying we're from Byron Bay and, and we're the only cultivator in Byron Bay. So from what we can see, and there isn't any other people around us that are um, setting up from what we can see. So there may be some coming online that we don't know about, but um, I haven't seen them in the last sort of year or two.
0: So, how would, this is for the punters who are listening at home, how is your product that you are growing in Ballina different to the product that you could potentially buy in the main street of Mullumbimby, which isn't far away?
1: Yeah, so essentially, I mean, it's the same plant as as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But the challenge with the black market is that you don't really know what you're getting because there's no controls over um the amount anything. of yeah. anything right the amount of pesticides what they're putting on it all that sort of stuff now i don't want to knock organic Bimbi growers because i'm sure they're <laughs> yeah. probably very experienced and have some very quality high quality product in reality but ultimately it's a trust thing and it's also a thing of not breaking the law so there's a lot of patients out there that you know don't really want to be breaking the law every day and have worry about the police or worry about anyone getting mm. caught up in sort of drug dealing yeah um and so The products that we produce are exact um what they say on the packet because they get tested by third-party labs and we have to follow government protocols around quality so they're, they're tested for like pesticides molds you know disease all this other stuff that means they're very very high quality um and we have some of the strictest quality laws in the world if not the strictest i think us and germany are the two most uh strict countries in the world for cannabis so, you know, you do know what you're getting. And now the prices are really coming down for patients where if they go to the doctor now um, and want to buy, even if you just want to buy cannabis flower, it's not materially different to buying from your local dealer. Probably slightly more, but mm. I wouldn't consider that material in the scheme of, getting, of what you're getting in terms of the quality and the sort of lower round.
0: Are you able to give us um, a scale? Of the operation that's up there on the on the north coast? I mean, how how big is the site?
1: Yeah, so it's two point four hectare site. Um, and then we've got a four thousand square meter greenhouse. So um, that's a lot of actual cannabis mm. room. if we fill that thing up.
0: And what and what's and what stage are you at? Are you just sort of are you just starting to to plant or have you got like fully grown plants there?
1: So we've been running trials with our hemp license, which means low okay. CBD. Yep. under an R&D facility, and that's only for trial purposes. Nothing's going into humans or getting extracted yep. or doing yep. anything. So we've just been collecting agronomic data and using our breeders and agro- agronomists to, to figure out our growing conditions. Um, but we have a lab on there, which is basically stage one. So that lab is going to hold our first cannabis crop, which is going to be indoor, um, and then that allows us to do tissue culture, uh, which is micropropagation, um, and allows us to do a little bit of extraction, and as well as drying and a few other things in the in the facility, and that's mm-hmm. been pulled by the ODC for for stage one. We've also raised money for stage two, which is going to complete around mid August, mid to late August, and that will be the completion of the 4,000 square metre greenhouse. Um, some more site works, so ability to um, move things around the site a lot easier, um, and therefore the the production capability of that site would. Dramatically increase,
0: and so Joel, what's the, what's the workflow uh, of the product on the site? Obviously, it's it's grown to a you know a certain length, whatever it is. Um, what what actually happens to it then to eventually get it to market in a product that consumers uh, can use? So
1: it depends on the products, I suppose, because there is products for just pure flour where you can vaporize it but okay. ultimately you grow it um, which takes about two to three months depending on the strain you harvest it you and then you would um, dry it potentially trim it after drying or trim it before drying depending on people's processes mm-hmm. uh, once it's dried um, then um, it would go through potentially extraction. Um, into what's called an active pharmaceutical ingredient. So they're extracting the THC and the CBD, which are the actives in cannabis. THC is the one that makes you high, I suppose, but yeah. also a lot of analgesic, so very good for pain. And then CBD is more um, anti-anxiety um, and anti-inflammatory from what I've seen from the evidence, um, and that you extract those compounds and then you can put them into an oil, a gummy, a vape, whatever you need to. And then they're packaged up and formulated. So formulated means... Um, you put five milligrams, which is a very small amount of THC and, and 10 milligrams of CBD together and you formulate that in a dose form and then you put that on a uh, into a package and then it's sent to a um, distribution center and then a pharmacy orders it when the doctor prescribes it. So you can either get that in, you know, an oil, a tincture, a capsule, Um, There's even vapes out there now as well as a finished flower products for you to be able to vaporize.
0: So if you look at the local Australian market, what are the current restrictions on cannabis products?
1: Ultimately, they have to be um, GMP, which is good manufacturing practice because we have very high standards. Okay, yep. And so that's from a quality point of view, from the the, uh, producer's side of things. But then ultimately... I think you're asking also is what are the restrictions on whether you can be prescribed. Yes. And the answer is that if you have chronic pain, clinical anxiety, PTSD, cancer, and a few other conditions um, like fibromyalgia and other conditions that I would call like very unfortunate decisions, not, I mean, um conditions. Yes. Then- you can get prescribed cannabis, but it's worth seeing your doctor or your specialist if you are one of those people uh, or you know someone along the lines. It's becoming a lot easier to get medical cannabis because, as an example, opiates are very much restricted now and, um, you know, that's one of our core values is to try and remove the opi- opiate addiction from the yeah, world. Yep. I know a big, a big statement, but, um, you know, opiates are pretty nasty in terms of addiction and mm. long Effects, they're probably pretty good for acute pain, which is basically when you have a small an injury or you have an operation, that's fine. But I think long-term chronic uh conditions should not be treated by opiates. And even the government agrees, and so does all the data, right? We've seen the addiction issues around the world. So um if you if you are taking opiates or people are taking opiates for their conditions long-term, then cannabis is potentially a viable option, but there needs to be a lot more uh, research done, which is what we're planning to do.
0: So if I went to see my local GP and had whatever symptoms um, that were uh, relevant, um, do those medical officers need to have a, a special tick or anything to be able to prescribe can, um products with um medicinal cannabis in them
1: no any any gp any can gp
0: have. right yeah
1: but that doesn't mean every gp will <laughs> okay so there's obviously more conservative gps and then there's ones that are a little bit more open to sort of cannabis so um if you if your gp potentially says no you can go to what's called a clinic which is a, a specialized sort of medical cannabis clinic and they uh, are much more aware of how to prescribe cannabis and what it can be used for and, and managing your um, dosage and managing your products and engaging with you a lot a lot more. So it is more of a full-service um, system mm. than, than a GP. But um, the other option is GP. some GPs are what's called authorised prescribers. So if they've prescribed medical cannabis before and they um, see it as useful for a specific condition, then the TGA gives them an exemption and they're allowed to just prescribe whenever they want. If it's the first time they prescribe, they need to go fill in a bunch of forms, which is a little annoying for a GP because they want as many people as possible, but it's just the reality of uh, uh, what's called an unregistered drug, not on the the PBS.
0: And then if I've, um, Joel, got a script from my GP for a product uh, that they have um, prescribed and recommended... I presume I can't just go to my regular pharmacy to get that product. Do I have to? How do I? How do I get my hands on whatever the product that they've recommended?
1: No, you can go to your regular pharmacy and get mm. it. So now it's. But would they? Would,
0: would they generally have it in stock? Or uh, no, it takes a couple of days. It's um. They order it in some. Oh, yeah, they order okay. it in. Okay,
1: okay. Take two or three days, depending on where you are. If you're in. Uh, metro area probably quite quick um, so yeah it's basically just like any other drug now um, you know if you'd asked me this three years ago whether we would have this, this system and it would be operating to the level it is now I would have probably laughed at you knowing where it was three years ago but now mm. um, distributors and uh, pharmacies and uh, clinics have really sort of um, operationalized everything and things are happening a lot quicker whereas before there was a lot of complaints about being accessed. Getting access to products and all that sort it's of stuff. It's so hard. Yeah, well, the majority of the stuff that's that's gone away. It's now just better education for doctors and better education for patients. And um, you know, there's a lot of cost that goes into getting these products to market that's not involved with the producers actually. Um, but as we start to see more domestic operators, I think coming online, we will, like ourselves, you know, the price of these products will come down as the as the scale goes up because. That's how all medicines and and even everything course,
0: work. and are you finding that um there there's more pickup in the in the Australian market with more gps uh, and medical professionals understanding the 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 potential benefits of of the treatment?
1: Yeah, if you just look at the pure raw numbers from the government that sort of reports sort of three months um, behind it's it's increasing rapidly, so mm. I think ten percent growth month over month so every year the number of prescriptions of cannabis is doubling mm. so mm. that's a lot right i think 110000 last year so it's going to be 200000 this year which is a lot of prescriptions if you think they usually last about 3 months to 6 months sometimes um so yeah i mean what's what's actually happening now from what i can see and from what the consultants and analysts are telling me is people who have taken this what the government would have considered recreationally as in they've been buying it illegally because they have an issue a medical issue then they couldn't go to their doctor before yep, yep. now switching in from the black market to the um to the green market right to the legal market because of the the green estimate, market <laughs> consistent supply uh, consistent product uh high quality and you know the cost isn't as isn't as um overbearing as it used to be so it's really happening at a rapid rate now particularly when it comes to flower which i would have not for i didn't foresee really as a as being in this industry i thought flower may be against what the doctors may prescribe but now um i think you know if, if you're thinking about it from a government's perspective they're probably happier that people are buying this legally of course, than of course. Buy legally and then they can the doctors can control what's going on um and we're seeing very minimal side effects right i think you know, adverse events. I think, you know, people are obviously sometimes going and falling asleep on the couch or, um, you know, a little bit of dizziness here and there or potentially being high, um, which is sort of unexpected for some of these new patients to cannabis, but nothing materially that is turning them off the medication severely, I think, in most cases. But um, there is a level of uh, trial and error is the word I'd probably use yeah. to... To figure out what medication works for you at what dose, so we're still working on that as an industry. And and you know sometimes people can um, adverse, have adverse reactions, as as I'm sure anyone who's taken cannabis for the first time has potentially mm. experienced. Um, but I think the key is dosage, right? As long as you understand what what a consistent dosage is, and you take the minimum, and you dose up um, then in a safe way, then I think that
0: will help. As per doctors' advice. advice.
1: But even if you take recreational um, uh, statistics in sort of Canada and California and other places, right, you know, they, they already know, like if you walk into a shop now and you've never tried cannabis, typically they shouldn't, unless they're stupid shops, <laughs> say to you, take this. If it's a really strong stuff, they'll just say, look, just take this little uh, five milligram typically is what they would say, gummy bear or something to, you know, um, to start and see how you go, a capsule, and oil even, or something like that. And then, you know, you, you can always dose up at a later stage. But the last thing they want to do or anyone wants to do in the cannabis industry is overdose people, right? Because mm, it's in their interest for them to not come back when they've had a bad experience. So in reality, um, you know, the, the, the recreational market is also driving some of this.
0: Have you given um, consideration to what your potential product suite uh, might be what you what you bring to market, or is it too early for that?
1: No, we we've already got a chronic pain product in in the market, and we are running clinical trials on that. So we're planning to do a, um, a phase two dose escalation studies. Um, but what's exciting about that is it's actually as a second line therapy. So typically, um, you would take let's say opiates as a second line therapy. You would start with paracetamol or a non steroidal anti inflammatory. And then they would push you onto an opiate. Now we're saying let's look at cannabis as a second line therapy there, and see whether that can provide pain relief prior to opiates. Because if you think about where we are as a as a world in terms of opiates, we really want to restrict the amount of opiates that people of are taking. Course, so, of course. So in that case, we've got a um, a chronic pain formulation. The next formulation we're bringing out um, is for anxiety, because forty percent of chronic pain patients have anxiety um as well clinical anxiety it's kind of the vicious circle of pain which is anxiety um inflammation and um and pain so you know once you get one it just goes around in a vicious circle and then the other the last one we're bringing out is inflammation so we're just finishing up our what's called a preclinical study which was basically assessing cannabinoids so cbd and thc um alongside terpenes and flavonoids, which are compounds in the cannabis plant, um, in a petri dish, essentially, which is looking at inflammation pathways similar to what you would find in a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory and assessing whether there's any um, uh, pathways that are working for those formulations. And once we finish that, then we'll have a patented formulation we can take to market for inflammation as well.
0: If you're taking a product as subscribed by your doctor, would would that um, necessarily show up on a random drug test by the police? Yes,
1: good question. So the answer is yes, uh, depend, but it depends. If it's CBD only and there's products out there that would advertise themselves as CBD but have THC in them still, mm-hmm. small traces of THC because there's always THC in every plant. So unless you specifically extract it, uh, like as in through a chemical process, Yeah. there's going to be thc in that Mm -hmm. so um at very small doses it's unlikely to show up if it's been a period of time since you've taken that medication Mm -hmm. if you're taking a thc medication like the one we sell um yes there is issues with driving because you will get um uh, tests um done but the challenge we've got and there's a drive change campaign happening with a couple of senators and and a lot of sort of public awareness as well as an ex-judge who used to work in in the courts in ballina um there's a campaign to try and um, get some sort of threshold on impairment because we mm. don't have the same rules for uh, opiates and non-steroidals and all these other drugs, but we have really sort of draconian laws around cannabis that are affecting patients who want to take cannabis regularly.
0: I mean you could you could potentially have the script or something and say, "Hey, you know doctor's orders. But I'm not sure the police are, are quite there yet. I mean, that, that's, no. a, that's a bit of a it's a bit of a grey area, isn't it, Joel?
1: Yeah. Well, what's funny is you can take you know you can be take a load of opiates and drive you know like no limits, no tests, no nothing. So I think the key is impairment. Um, so whether you actually are impaired, similar to alcohol, should be the the test. And the way it works with opiates is that if you have taken opiates and you are impaired, then you will get in trouble. Um, So there should be some sort of measurement or assessment around whether someone's impaired before they get arrested. Now, there's been studies done by um, the Lambert um, Initiative, which is a University of Sydney um, funded and and privately funded group that does research on cannabis. And they've shown that um, it's about four to six hours after taking cannabis where you shouldn't drive probably and at at doses. And then after that, you're not impaired.
0: Well, let's finish on uh, the the potential IPO I, I mentioned in the intro. Um, we're hope you're hoping to do it by the end of the year. What so? What are the um what are the next steps then for for Simra to to make to make that happen?
1: Yeah. So now we've got our permit. Um, we just were looking to sort of scale up a bit more at the site, um, hire more people, um, as well as um, complete some of the other construction works on the site, so that we can get it fully permitted and and to a GMP standard, um, as well as raising money for our um, sort of penultimate clinical trial that would be around 200 patients and be a much larger study that could get our drug registered potentially around the world. Um, so once we once we put all that together, um, we thought that it'd be pretty good idea to to get on the ASX and have the ability to raise money to do that sort of stuff, because it is quite a capital intensive business, you need a fair amount of investment. But ultimately, um, we've just got to go through some of the motions, whether that's registering with the ASX um, in principle um, and getting out there and finding a couple of key investors, I suppose, um, through the process. But I feel like we're at a really good stage of our company's evolution, so we can probably list the business Towards the end of the
0: year, well, Joel Hardy from Simra Life Sciences. Uh, It's been great having you on the program today, and we wish you all the best in the years ahead. Thanks for coming on.
1: Appreciate that, Justin. It's great to talk to you.